Hello and welcome to this Generation Gap podcast from Radio Verulam. I'm Clive Glover and my guest this week, as on many occasions recently, is Anna. Hello, Anna. Hi, Clive. Now, you suggested that we should talk about zoos, not least because you've just recently um, visited one. And yeah. uh, though we have talked about this before, there's lots to talk about in this subject, so I think that's a really good idea. Why don't you tell me about uh, your visit to the zoo then? Yeah, so I went to Bristol Zoo with my mum and my brother, and I was really excited because I haven't been to a zoo in so long now. I think the last time I went was on a school trip. Um, and the Bristol Zoo is quite unique, I think, because it's it's basic, it's not right down. Bristol's interesting because there's lots of different areas, but it's kind of in the centre of one of the main areas of um, Bristol called Clifton. Um, and you kind of just come across it as you're walking. I mean, I, yeah, it was a really good day out. Um, they had a lot of talks on, which was really interesting. There was this one man who was doing most of the talks and they also had feeding. So they fed the gorillas um, and it was really cute. There were some baby gorillas as well. So I think they've been quite sex- successful on their breeding programs there, which I think is a positive. Um, and it's also really nice because it's called Bristol Zoo and Gardens. And there are some there's an area where you can walk around and um, there's really a lot of there's a lot of wildlife and um, flowers. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just really pretty. There's also, also quite um, a cool zoo because there's there's lots of different areas. So there's one area where you can go inside and um, look at all kind of nocturnal animals. Um, and it was quite fun because you had to try and spot the animals in their enclosures. And it's really hard when they're in the dark. And there was just a few little lights here and there so you could see where you were going um so that was quite fun and then there's also uh animals where there's um areas that are inside where there's fish like geckos stick insects lizards loads of things there's just a really wide range of animals there so right sounds good okay i I must admit i have I've been past the zoo there in Bristol lots of times, but I don't think I've ever actually been there. Um, obviously, my, my zoo experience, going right back to when I was a little child, is basically the local zoo here, which is Whipsnade. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Was that where you went on the school trip? Probably was. Uh, I actually think it was London Zoo where I went on a school trip, I think. Okay. Mm. I think, yeah. Okay. I had been to Whipsnade. But what what we um what we're going to really try and touch on is is sort of whether um zoos are still um, an appropriate way of looking after animals and so on. I mean, and of, I think the sort of nature of zoos has changed quite drastically over the years. Mm. Um, and it really started. I mean, you know, going back, I suppose, about three hundred years now. Obviously, in the sort of dawning of, of scientific research and so on um, people suddenly got interested in plants and animals and birds and they started collecting them and collecting butterflies for example um, and so that um, they basically started um, collecting various uh, what's it called fauna and I can't remember the other word now. Flora, um, um, fauna and flora. Flora and fauna, that's the one, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, and, and obviously it was sort of scientific interest. You could um, notice the difference or the similarities between animals and plants and whatever. And uh, so it was all about collecting them. Uh, but I think the attitude towards animals um, has changed very drastically over that period. And, and now, of course, the, the way we're looking after them and trying to conserve them, because we we're aware obviously many animals are um, going extinct or may go extinct if we don't look after them and that's a really big difference I suppose. Yeah I I agree I think people are much more concerned about the ethics of zoos now but um, I yeah I was doing some research about the history of zoos and um, there was I learned that people have been being entertained by exotic animals um, like as a collection of them as far back as 1250 BC but also um, in early I learned that in earlier 13th century England 
So Henry III moved his family's royal menagerie to the Tower of London for public viewing. So that was kind of one of the earliest zoos, I think, that was set up. And there was a small fee for visitors, so I think you can class it as a zoo. Um, but also quite a funny fact about that is that I don't, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but it's what I read. And I think it was quite a credible source that I read it from, um, that if the visitors brought a cat or a dog to, um, to feed the lions, lions, they were able to get in free to the zoo, which you wouldn't have nowadays because, yeah, I, you wouldn't be able to trust, I think, that, yeah, I just don't think that would happen nowadays. <laughs> Well, no, I, th- I think this is where, where I'm saying really that the attitude towards animals is very different now, mm. of course. And obviously there are people, um, perhaps of your generation particularly, who are rather worried about zoos in principle and think mm. that, you know, we, we shouldn't have zoos. We should have all the animals should be sort of let out and, and go out into the wild and so on. I mean, I'm perhaps exaggerating slightly, but um, basically I think it's... Um, sort of generally looking at the whole thing differently now i as i said i'm very familiar with whipsnade zoo and the thing about that is um whipsnade is very very large i think yeah. it's 600 acres as far as i remember and certainly when you go there you know even when there's absolutely the car park is completely full you know there's thousands of people there it doesn't really feel very crowded and um the last time i was actually there was a year ago when we recorded a program there for um radio verulam a special one talking to all the keepers and so on there um, after the the first lockdown and um, I think that so to me somewhere like that you know you're absolutely clear and convinced the people there are definitely looking after the animals to a, a, the best extent they can yeah. and obviously um, they're treating them very well and so on and and the keepers there have a very close relationship with the particular animals they're looking after which is quite interesting and when we talked to them it was very clear that they have that sort of absolute love for the animals they're looking after and um, you know that you, you can't you can't really sort of challenge that there's obviously a, mm. a very good um sort of quality of life for the animals against that you can say even at whipsnade where they've got a, for example a, a very large um caged area with tigers in um, yeah. the tigers i'm sure are very happy there and of course they've been born in captivity so that they don't really know anything different mm. um but if you read about tigers you know you read in the wild they they range over an area about 80 miles yeah. obviously no zoo can cope with that so to some extent you are restricting them but obviously the ones that, that are there most of them actually have been born at the zoo anyway so they, they're sort of used to that now i'm not sure whether that's a, <laughs> a valid argument or not because you could say the same you know if you were born and brought up in a house and you only ever lived there and you were locked in the whole time um, you might not know the difference that you would be allowed other people like you would be allowed outside I suppose in sometimes it comes down to instincts though and it is interesting that you say that because um, I think a big argument against zoos is that they can't really emulate the conditions in the wild because there's just so much space that would be needed for that and I think that's especially the case when you talk about elephants and um, because I learn that elephants in the wild would wander as much as 30 miles a day and they'd be in large groups and they're very social animals and they'd be grazing on leaves and grass and I actually do have a bit of a case study about this so there was an elephant called Maggie um, in Alaska Zoo um, and she was so due to the really cold temperatures in Alaska she was forced to spend days on end in a small enclosure um, and they thought the zookeepers were like well she's inside obviously this is not um, the conditions that we would like her to be in but we can't really do anything about it because of the cold temperatures so they brought in this elephant sized treadmill to go on but she didn't even use the treadmill and we don't we're not sure why um 
but I think that is quite a sad case because I saw a photo and it was kind of just an, an barren cave, like barren enclosure. Um, but I know zoos try their best, and Whipsnade is um, a really good zoo, I think, for space because it is such a large plot of land. And I think that links to why Bristol Zoo is planning on moving, so they just have more space for animals and they can really develop their conservation work. But um, I think that's a big argument against zoos. Um, yeah, uh, the elephants are at Whipsnade. They're not at London. In fact, if you go to the elephant enclosure at Whipsnade, there are some uh, boards explaining what what happened. Because I remember it uh, that it was some time. I can't remember what it was. Probably thirty years ago now. But basically, the uh, elephants at London Zoo were fairly confined, so they decided they need to move them all to Whipsnade. And you think, great, that's an that's an easy thing to do. But of course, it wasn't. They they literally had to stop the M1. They had to build some special sort of um, trucks and things, which were very wide, obviously, on the, sort of taking up three or four lanes on on the motorway. Wow! And they, they had to shut shut the motorway for it was a Sunday, of course. Shut the, shut the motorway while they put them all on these special trucks and drove them from London Zoo up to Whipsnade. Um, so that was an enormous effort to do that. And of course, they've now got a very large enclosure there. But there's also quite a lot of elephants at Whipsnade. I, I can't remember. It must be about eight or nine at least, and probably more mm. now. Um, yeah, well, I, mean, I think this is the the, um, the point about zoos now and why they are different from uh, or they're treated differently. And it really goes back, I suppose, it's a sort of religious thing, really, that um, I know that um, Catholic Church particularly um, for a long time and until quite recently, and I'm not sure if they've even officially sort of done this now, they basically decided that animals don't have souls. And so therefore mm. they weren't really um, to be treated at, like humans because we're special and we're above nature and all the rest of it that was sort of uh, um, I suppose philosophical attitude Um, and the prevailing attitude was obviously that these animals are just things really and this Mm. obviously leads you uh, some people to treat them in ways which we'd find really quite um, terrible now and obviously um, dancing bears being taken from village to village across Europe was one of those things back in the middle ages and these bears were taught to dance when they played some music but the way they taught them to dance was basically by whipping them until they did what they were told Um, and obviously that was not something that people would countenance now and that's why we don't have circuses anymore in this country in the way we used to have circuses with animals performing yeah Um, some places they still do that i think even some of the eastern european countries may have stopped it now but uh, certainly in russia and so on that they were still going on until well into the last few years yeah because you could go to a circus and really enjoy it and think wow these animals are so skilled and amazing and really intelligent that they've learned how to do this but you don't know how they've been trained you really don't know that and also i think not to get into this you won't probably go that far into this territory but I on Instagram I follow this account I'm not vegan personally or vegetarian but um, I follow this account that's kind of pro-vegans and a lot of it is about a lot of the captions on this Instagram account mention how animals have feelings and they are um, they can sense emotions and they are really affected if you treat them badly they're not just objects that can be used at our own disposal and yeah and I think some people don't really have that opinion they think well they're animals they're not as developed as we are we they can't speak they can't com- express how they're feeling they probably don't think that deeply we can treat them however we want but I think I'm definitely more for the argument that animals can really be affected by how they're treated because I was looking about um I was researching into s- small um enclosures and it can really cause animals really severe distress if they're not in a healthy environment 
So elephants have been witnessed like bobbing their heads up and down, which is not a natural behavior for them. Like bears have been pacing back and forth, and like wild cats have been seen um, obsessively grooming themselves. Um, and I suppose they've been kind of put into these artificial constructs, um, which kind of means that animals do sometimes succumb to something called zoocosis, which is where they display like obsessive or repetitive behaviors. So it's it you, that shows that an animal's environment actually really does have an effect on them because there's evidence to prove that it changes their behaviour for the worse. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember some years ago now um, being at London Zoo, and they had two polar bears, and they built a long time ago a sort of a little a little mountain for them, as it were, but mm. it was really quite small, and they were walking round and round and round and round and round, and uh, frankly, it was quite obvious to me that they were very upset and agitated because they obviously couldn't go very far at all. Yeah, and I think they they did move them as well. So I, mean, I think that I, I'm with you on this. It seems to me that um, obviously animals do have feelings and so on, and I mean, anyone who's got a cat or a dog, and we don't have either in uh, our house, but have in the past had a cat. Um, mm. You know, you get to know the animal, they get to know you, and it's entirely obvious that there's lots of things. I mean, you know, with a dog, you walk along a road and it, it remembers something which, you know, happened perhaps, you know, weeks ago at a particular point in the walk, for example. Um, yeah. And we have lots of cats wandering around our garden because we don't have our own cat. Um, and um, I, there's several times I've seen one which for example comes back exactly the same time every day and sits looking at a bush and I know why because about three weeks ago there was a frog there and this cat spotted the frog and started chasing it oh right and it then comes back the sort of same time in the same place assuming presumably the frog will do the same thing yeah (laughs) oh that's quite sad in a way yeah but, but the point about it is that it shows that they've obviously got intelligence they can obviously remember things they can obviously mm. locate and remember where they went and all this kind of stuff which are all very yeah. very clear signs of a degree of intelligence which i think is is quite clear um and because we know when... that many animals can do things we can't they can see much better than we can and obviously dogs and cats to some extent can smell things which we can't at all mm. at bristol zoo and um, there was kind of a prime example of this that there was a i can't remember exactly the the type of monkey that she was but there was a sign up and um, in the monkey area that said um this monkey she was named i can't remember her name but she um this monkey has been brought up by um keepers she gets distressed if you interact with her and then you leave her so i think that shows that they really can form like bonds with humans and they do have those connections and emotions i know maybe they don't feel things in the same way that we do but they they can get attached if someone's showing them love and affection so that was quite sad because a lot of people, I found it quite odd at times because I witnessed this woman waving at the gorillas and I just thought that was a bit disrespectful in a way. I thought, why are you waving at them? They, that's not the communication that they understand. I thought, I don't know, I found that a bit odd. But I thought that was quite distressing to hear that this monkey, if you interact with it, it will get really upset if you leave it because it's been used to human interaction um yeah my favorite story we, we went as i said last year we were talked to the keepers at whipsnade zoo yeah um, and they had been 
doing lots of um, sort of social media while the time they were they were shut because they were shut for months, of course, when they couldn't open the zoo. Um, and there was a story which was actually about London Zoo, which got quite a lot of publicity and so on. And I, I remember speaking to them about this. And basically, there's a kind of pygmy goats, of which there's a, a group of them at London Zoo. And uh, they, they wander around freely because they're obviously not dangerous for anybody. Um, and they generally go to the gates to welcome people coming in. And with the zoo shut, they were going along at sort of nine o'clock when it opens and standing by the gate waiting for something to happen. And they just waited and waited and some of them sort of peel off, got bored and whatever. And it got to the point where they, they got sort of animal psychologists in to sort of see what they could do for the goats. And towards oh. the end of the, the lockdown period, the, the um, zookeepers were taking it in turns to, to cuddle a goat to sort of make it make it feel a bit sort of better because it, it met somebody at least even if it was the zookeepers yeah um and again, had its social fix yeah but again you know that clearly shows um all sorts of understanding of empathy and as you say emotional um things which animals uh, do have yeah because when you visit a zoo it's hard to know if the animals are noticing you're there but you kind of forget they can literally see you there and I was actually thinking if I was in a cage, I know I'm completely, I'm a different species to an, to an animal, but I was thinking if, um, well, actually, we're, I suppose, anyway, um, if I was in a cage, I wouldn't want people staring at me. And I noticed at one point when we were looking at the gorillas, like they turned our back, they turned their backs to us because I don't think they wanted us looking at them which I think because I think they're quite developed animals gorillas I'd say maybe like chimpanzees are more developed because we're more closely related to them but um I think yes I was going to say I think that we humans are something like 90 94 percent the same as gorillas or something so it's not really 94 wow I I remember at London Zoo they've got a very nice gorilla um, area there which is quite recent and watching a mother gorilla with a a little baby and basically sort of cuddling it and, and sort of tweaking its nose and all those sort of things and just thinking well it's exactly the same as a human mother and child as well you know there's no difference yeah where they're treated and you can see this absolutely um so i think again that sort of emphasizes and i think you know i i have the same view that you do that these animals are obviously clearly sentient i think is the word not clearly intelligent and the rest of it um mm. which then gets to the stages of things like how we treat them in other ways obviously other animals farm animals cows Mm. sheep pigs chickens these are all sentient intelligent animals as well but we kill them and eat them i can understand why people become vegetarian from that moral point of view yeah that's very true because i think we with exotic animals we'd never ever think of eating them we'd never think of like i know there's a um industry of poaching where animals are killed not really for the meat or the but are killed for their um, like adaptations, such as their horns. But um, yeah, I know it's. Uh, then you kind of think, should we? Yeah, should we treat cows, sheep, uh, chickens with the same kind of respect and not kill them and just let them roam? It's like, I suppose to a certain extent, extent people are conscious of the conditions that chickens are in. For example, people buy free range eggs over like battery battery hens um, or hens or chickens but I don't think they're seen as being as uh, maybe as valuable or as they're as other animals but I don't know why I really don't know why that is I don't I'm not sure why well obviously I mean, there's two two things I could suggest one is that obviously if um, farm animals are looked after in the same sort of way that zookeepers look after their animals 
um, at least they have a sort of a pleasant life. Yeah. Um, and that, that's probably the way to look at it. And so that's different, obviously, as you say, putting 10,000 chickens in a shed and sort of more or less giving them no room to move around and all the rest of it is basically cruel. There's no question of it. Um, but, of course, that's the sort of thing that does happen. It doesn't happen, luckily, in this country quite so much, although, of course, there are still quite intensive farms, particularly with chickens. Um, I always like particularly um, when I see places with pigs out in fields um, rather than, you know, being put into uh, little enclosures again. And, again, there's quite a few people doing that sort of um, famous one is if you're, if you're going down the A303 towards Cornwall or Devon and you go past Stonehenge and there's over on the other side of the road there's this massive farm which has got hundreds and hundreds of pig houses and lots of pigs wandering around outside in huge fields and I always think that's a really nice thing to see. Definitely because you know that they're actually maybe hopefully happy in the conditions they're in but also then I think about dogs and like dogs is just they're another animal they're probably not even some of them probably aren't even as intelligent as chimpanzees or gorillas or not as sentient I think it's the word um, as you said earlier but we treat the, the dogs on such a high pedestal compared to other animals. I suppose as dogs give back a lot to us, like a lot of them are very loving and you take them on walks and um, you they're company for humans, but they're just another animal. I think people sometimes see them as being more of kind of more than that when they're not really. Well, I don't know if you heard it. I, mean, I did actually a programme with uh, my friend Honor a few months ago now about about her dog basically and we were talking about um him as a specific example not because he's anything special other than her 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 pet um but the the point was that she said and i think other people have said the same to me that a dog in your family is a member of your family there's no question of it and Mm, the the, mm -hmm. the humans think of the dog as being part of the family and the dog it's clearly itself thinks it's part of the family so it's a very special sort of relationship people have with dogs Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But talking about that, there are a lot of positives about zoos. I didn't I wasn't sure if you want to go into well, that. No, but. I yes, absolutely. I mean the, the London Zoo and Whipsnade Zoo are both owned by the Zoological Society of London and I'm actually a member of that because I've been going to the zoos for many years. Um, and of course they have a huge scientific programme of um, conservation work, which basically mm. means understanding the sort of environment animals live in or want to live in and therefore helping in various countries around the world perhaps to preserve um, some of that environment, if they can, for the animals that are there. And it's, it's the, a lot of the big animals, particularly things like tigers, um, basically they're in a constant war with humans because humans are cutting down bits of forest to make room for more yeah. houses or build a new village or whatever, or, or for farming. And so the, the um, animals tend to get sort of pushed back and back and back until there's not much left. And it's quite ironic, though, because we are the people who humans, as the human race, endanger animals. Usually we are the ones who endanger animals and then we're the ones who set up breeding programs and conservation programs to um, to kind of uh, make sure that those animals don't go extinct. But then we're the ones in the first place who <laughs> are causing that. Well, it's a recognition that we've been doing that over many years. And of course, it's again, it's about scale. Um, obviously, um, animals have been hunted and so on for many years and, and all the rest of it. Um, but I mean, now, because the population of the world is larger and obviously we need more space for all the, the people living here. Um, and we give priority mm. to obviously um, humans living. Um, so therefore, we are um, up against this. And some of the animals who live in nice places, 
find that um, humans want to live there and so push them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's very difficult. I mean, we can sit here in sort of our comfy surroundings and talk about this, but obviously, if we were desperately trying to find somewhere to live and knew that we could go into that forest there and chop down all the trees and build a nice house for ourselves, um, you know, that would be obviously a priority for us over preserving the animals that live in that area. At least I was thinking about Bristol Zoo when you mentioned housing, because um, at least Bristol Zoo isn't closing down, at least it's moving somewhere because I know that what is replacing the zoo is mostly just housing (laughs) because there's always a need for more housing, but at least those animals are being hopefully moved to bigger enclosures and to, um, yeah, just a bigger space. And uh, Clifton is a very desirable part of Bristol, isn't it? So that's why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, so um, did you, do you think um, from, going to Bristol Zoo you perhaps do a bit more visiting zoos locally I mean I would always recommend Whipsnade I think you've been there before presumably yeah I have been there but um not for gosh many years um I definitely think I would go but I I'd probably do more research because I, I found it really interesting doing research for this podcast because I didn't know too much about the ethics of zoos I knew about conservation work and breeding programs but there's a lot on the internet about like the debate between pros and cons of zoos and I think if I was to go to Whipsnade, I'd probably ask a lot more questions and also do a little bit of research about what they're doing conservation-wise. Because I know that usually the admission fee contributes to the work that they're doing, which is a real positive. Um, but I definitely think I would go because... But I then... Yeah, but yeah, I think I would. Because I think Whipsnade is, as we spoke about earlier, has a lot of space, so the animals are kept in kind of decent, con- like good conditions um and i do support the fact that they are zoos do protect a lot of endangered species which i think is really important and they do sometimes release them back into the wild like you kind of have to remember that it's not all about just taking them away from them it's difficult of course if they've been bred in the zoo and putting them in the wild is pretty much a death sentence for many animals that's the problem because they don't know how to live there they're used to the keeper coming along once a week once a day rather than feeding them um i think one of the things the sort of things i've learned from places like Whipsnade is, is for example giraffes which are lovely creatures I'm sure everyone loves them um, mm. they've actually got a unique pattern you know they've, they've, it's the sort of pattern on an individual giraffe is pretty much like a fingerprint and yes, so yeah. part of the conservation work on, on giraffes is that they've actually got a worldwide database of every giraffe and it's family history wow. it's family history and they've got the DNA and everything as well now and so obviously when they, oh, when they do breeding programs they can sort of bring a giraffe across from you know Germany or something um, who's therefore you know not related to all the other ones there that kind of stuff um, mm. but it's very interesting so they, they can literally in in the wild they've got obviously lots of pictures of them in the wild as well so they've got details of that um, and it is quite interesting to see this and I had no idea you know you see a giraffe and you see a sort of pattern you don't realize that everyone is actually different mm-hmm. yeah they they that is interesting how they all have their unique as you say fingerprint so they've got a kind of facebook um, of um all giraffes in the world you see <laughs> yeah they all have their own little profile absolutely. yeah no it's true absolutely i mean it, it isn't facebook but mm. it's, it's equivalent to that and i think that's re- that's really mm. wonderful um but of course we that's the other thing that we we conserve or want to conserve sort of cute animals and pretty animals and ones we like and yeah. we don't take the same attitude perhaps towards you know different 5,000 types of beetle or ants or something like this and of course they're, they're, they're important as well I know it's so true people are 
I think they always have been fascinated by exotic animals. And I think a lot of animals, I think people have um, were always fascinated by them if they were exotic because many of the animals didn't originate, like they're not um, originating from the UK. A lot of animals originate from Africa or Asia. Um, so we wouldn't, if they went in zoos, we wouldn't have had an opportunity to see them unless you go on a safari, which is expensive and haven't always existed. Um, so I think there is a lot more of a fascination with animals that come from different countries. Well, you see, obviously, in this country, we have a um, obviously a long history and the um, empire and the Commonwealth as it is now. Um, so therefore, yeah. people were traveling and trading with all those exotic places. And so, you know, oh, you've, you've given me your crop of this, but I can want to swap it with something. How about a couple of lions? <laughs> you, know, you take them back to London and put them in a zoo, that sort of thing. And uh, yes. it, it was this kind of stuff. And obviously the people, the traders were going off to various parts of the world and, and seeing animals they'd never seen before. And then in, in big cities like London, people were interested. And so they put up an exhibition and showed people a lion or an elephant. elephant. And they, uh, they were just fascinated by that and they'd never seen it before. Yeah, yeah, you you would be though because if you've never seen it, and they are animals are beautiful. They're so they are amazing to look at, and I think people just are really interested in like the way they behave, especially. Also, I think it's about like how aesthetically pleasing they are. Like giraffes are like I think they're beautiful animals, and so are elephants, gorillas, monkeys, uh, many other animals as well. But there are definitely some animals that people prefer the look of than which I'm not really sure why that is, but. Like people think bugs and spiders, they're they're a really amazing animals. Like spiders and their webs, I think that's really like amazing that what they do there. But um people don't seem to be as fond of them. Really? Well you can't cuddle a spider, can you? That's the thing you see. No, I know. It's, I suppose they don't really give much back to us. Well, actually, people are trying to work out how to make uh, ropes, which are the same sort of equivalent strength proportionally a as a spider webs. web. Mm. Um, yes, that's right. You know, there's a plan to build a, um, a, a space elevator. It's a famous thing. In theory, you could put a sort of satellite in space and run a rope from it down to Earth, and then you wouldn't have to use rockets. You could just sort of launch satellites by just whipping up the the rope. Rope. Oh wow! Uh, it's a brilliant idea, except of course the rope would have to be sort of 200 miles long and not weigh anything. <laughs> how would they get it up there? Would it? Well, how, I, I mean, yeah. that's how the practicalities, but the, but you know, to have the strength and so on, and the size of mm. the rope and the yeah. weight of the, the total length of it, the only way you could do it would be a spider's web or something equivalent to that. You could manufacture. It's quite a fascinating sort of concept. Wow, yeah. um, that is really interesting. And wow! Because a spider's web, proportionally on the size of it, is far stronger than anything else we can make. Mm, yeah. It's, yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. Well, that's it. Animals are wonderful things, and yes, so I recommend you. You've got some more of a summer holiday to go. Whipsnade is open. You can go up there. It's a, a good day out. Definitely. I'll get definitely. my commission from them later. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay Anna it's been nice talking to you again and um, thank you for that and I think uh, it's an interesting subject as I say we've, we've come back to it a couple of times before with different people but um, it's worthwhile that because I think it is an important thing to do and I th it, Definitely. it is about this whole thing about um, whether animals are sort of equal to us in many ways or should be treated more equally to us um, the only problem then is that you know we can't talk to them yet I'm still waiting for Google to come out with a Google Translate so I can talk to a cat or a dog. That would be the that'll be the thing we need. <laughs> I know that may happen. Oh, I think that would be mind absolutely mind blowing if that that actually could 
become a reality. Well, you know, we, we, we have all these things about, you know, aliens coming or, or watching us and all the rest of it, and how we talk to them and all the rest of it. Well, we can't talk to basic animals we've lived with for hundreds of thousands of years yet. So how on earth will we be Yeah, so how are we ever going to talk to an alien? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, you've been listening to the Generation Gap um, podcast here from Radio Verulam ninety two point six FM. And you've been listening to me and Anna this time. Um, you can find lots of podcasts from Radio Verulam, actually thousands, literally now, um, on our website, which is www.radioverulam.com, and there's lots of uh, Generation Gap podcasts as well as many others. So do take a look and uh, take a listen. And thank you very much, and I hope you join us again soon.